0: Well, it's good to be back worshiping with you together this morning. As most of you know, we uh, had the privilege last weekend of ministering at uh, Blake uh, Boyce's new church uh, out in Central California, Kingsburg, California, and uh, we were invited by uh, his new pastor, Scott Arvanis, to uh, preach at their Wednesday night, what we would call our super study. Uh, they had that last Wednesday, their final one of the of the summer, and then to stay over and preach on Sunday and. Uh, it was really such a blessing um, to kind of kind of connect our churches, um, having been able to send Blake over there and uh, see him get trans, you know, kind of grow up here in ministry and then transplant, be transplanted over there. It just seems like a perfect uh, fit for them. Uh, just to see Blake and Beck in their new home, um, which looks like something right out of a movie. I don't know what movie, but it's been in a lot of movies. This little house they live in, and uh, it was just fun to fellowship with them there with their family and then just to see. Uh, Blake leading and, 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 and uh, the team there and, and, and leading the church in worship on Sunday. It was really a, a joy and a blessing. And uh, I was going to bring greetings uh, from them, but I decided to let them do that themselves. And so they're with us this morning. Blake and Becca are snuck in the back. And uh, it's good to have you guys back this morning. And uh, yeah, it's okay to clap for them. And so you know Grandma and Grandpa... Brought them back down for vacation, right? So they needed to see, see the grandkids. And so, anyway, Blake and Becker are here uh, this week and uh, spending time with their folks. And so, thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Uh, Owen and I didn't expect to see each other so, so quickly. Huh? We had fun sitting in church last Sunday together up in California, over in California. Now, here we are again, man. So good to see you again, Owen. Um, anyway, we had a great time together and uh, just to know that they are well, um, uh, they are well connected at their new church, and uh, we can rejoice with them. And it seems like that church is just really on a, on a launch pad, ready to take off, and they put together a really neat uh, staff, and they have uh, just ready to go into a building program. They've been a mobile church for seven years, so we can appreciate that. We were mobile for three years, living out of a trailer. They've been doing that for seven years, and uh, they're just about ready to start a building program. They've got a beautiful piece of property very strategic location and um, uh, refurbishing this huge warehouse um, and uh, into a, really a, a state of the art facility that's going to be at a uh, really going to be a landmark for that that city that they're in. And so excited to see how the Lord's going to use Blake and the rest of that staff there and the people in Kingsburg. So we'll continue to pray for Grace Church of the Valley uh, there. And um, when you're uh, picking out fruit at HEB, look for a little Kingsburg Orchard or Family Tree Farms. On the labels, and uh, those guys go to Blake's Church, and it's pretty cool uh, that they're the ones that produce many um, two thirds of the fruit, uh, stone fruit that we eat here in, the, in our country and even around the world. And it was real fascinating to get to know these guys and see what they do. And I guess what the oil industry here is here in Houston, that would be what the fruit industry is there um, in Central California. So it was really really fun. But the message I preached last week, uh, it dawned on me. Uh, that um, I've never preached that here. And I thought, well, this morning I want to preach the message I preached last Sunday at Blake's New Church. I want to preach that here. Now, uh, you've heard this subject uh, in various different forms at various different times over the years here at Lakeside Bible Church, but uh, you've never heard it all in maybe a simple, succinct, summarized way. Um, And what I'm referring to is the subject of expository listening. And uh, if you're newer to our church, uh, let me give you some context here. Uh, About 20 years ago, when I was uh, a high school pastor at Grace Community Church out in uh, Southern California, uh, somebody gave me a book, uh, kind of a random um, off-the-beaten-path book called The Consumer's Guide to Preaching, how to Get the Most Out of a Sermon by a guy named Jay Adams. And I knew Jay Adams as an author, and I thought, man, I want to read this book. But it was kind of an offbeat book, and I thought, wow, how interesting. He's, he's talking about our responsibility as listeners. And I had never seen or heard or, frankly, ever even thought about the subject of, of the listener's responsibility in preaching. And so I read that years ago, and I thought, how interesting. Now, this guy nailed a, a subject that has really not been addressed at all, that, to my knowledge, in the church today. Fast forward another 10 years, um, and it was 2005, and uh, I was flying back from a ministry opportunity in India, and they had asked me to come and spend a week and a half there uh, teaching uh, the pastors and the the lay people there about expository preaching. So I did a series of seminars on, on what is expository preaching, how do you do it, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, as I was flying back on the plane, contemplating what I was going to preach the following Sunday, and it was just, I think I was flying back on a Friday night, Saturday kind of thing, so I pretty much had the plane trip to figure it out. And, uh, and so I'll never forget just thinking about, after all that I had taught about expository listening, there was a big so what in my mind. It's like, so what? So, so the preachers do all that they're supposed to do to get ready for Sunday morning, and then they preach a, 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 a faithful message straight from God's Word, and, and, and yet really... If no one's there to listen and no one receives that message and obeys that message and lives out that message and has their life changed by that message, then really it's all for nothing. And so I thought, man, I want to just challenge our people in light. It seemed like the natural application of a week of talking about expository preaching uh, to talk about expository listening. And so if you remember, I came back and I preached a message called Preaching for Dummies, How to Get the Most Out of a Sermon. And it was basically taking everything that I had taught that week in India and tried to present it in a way... Uh, really from the perspective of the person sitting out there in the audience? How does this all apply to you? You're not preachers, but you're as much of a part of this preaching process as the preacher is, whether you realize it or not. And then as you know, I, shortly after that, I jumped into a, a doctoral program and and uh, we the emphasis was on expository preaching. And, and so uh, we all had to write a dissertation at the end of the three years and it had to be something related to expository preaching. I thought, man, i got tons of books on expository preaching in my office. I, what, what else could I possibly contribute to this whole subject matter? And that's when kind of the history came back to me about this book about listening and how it relates to preaching, and, uh, and so I began to think about that and, and, and zero in on that, and then, of course, if you were here seven years ago, uh, you sat through a 12-part series on how to listen to a sermon. Thank you. You were very kind, very gracious, very patient uh, in, in listening to that sermon. And, and I think halfway through, everybody's like, "Okay, can I think we get it?" Okay. But uh, those those messages were turned into chapters in the dissertation, which, as you know, was eventually turned into a little book called Expository Listening: A, a, a Handbook for Hearing and Doing God's Word. And I'll never forget Hannah when she, when I came home and. Got the first copy of the book given to me by the publisher, and I wanted to present it to Kelly as a gift. And uh, so at the, at the supper table, I put it in a little gift bag, and I had it there. And, and uh, now, mind you, Hannah and the kids had seen the dissertation, which looks like a biology textbook. And uh, I have it on, on my shelf, and there's a, there's a copy at the Master's seminar in their library. that's just what you do. And so they've seen that big old textbook-looking dissertation. And so <laughs> Kelly pulls out this little book, and Hannah goes, "It's so little." And I'm like, Hannah, thanks, I appreciate that encouragement. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so, uh, and so after that, of course, the book started going out, and, and people started buying it and reading it, and then I started to get invitations from time to time to go to different churches and, and to speak on the subject of expository listening. And so typically, they would only have one slot for that, they wouldn't give me 12, like you were so gracious to give me, uh, you really didn't have a choice, did you, but um, So there's usually just one shot. And so I'm like, well, how how am I going to say all this in in one sermon? And so believe it or not, I was able to summarize 12 sermons into one. You're like, no, you didn't. It probably took you three hours to preach it. Now, come on, we know you, right? But I did. I tried to summarize. I basically tried to say it in a sermon. And uh, everything we've been learning over the 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 years here at Lakeside Bible Church, I just tried to pull it all together and just say it in a sermon, and just kind of go to a different church and just say, hey, boom, this is this is the, this is it in a nutshell. and and get the book <laughs> uh, and read it, and, and you'll hopefully never be the same, and your preacher will appreciate you for it. and so uh, I know that. Uh, We have a lot of new people in our church. We we always seem like we're trying to keep up with the new folks that are joining us here at Lakeside Bible Church, and we want you to be a part of the culture of this church as quickly as possible. And so, uh, this is really a big part of our culture. In fact, uh, we give now as a gift to our new members a copy of Expository Listening because I don't I can't think of a better book that just says, "Hey, this is who we are as a church. This is our heart that we're about, not just being hearers of the word." but being what? Doers of the Word, and living out the living Word. And so this morning, I'd like to just, if I could, provide you a summary of, of this whole subject, and maybe, again, a subject you've heard before in various ways and in various contexts, but never uh, altogether in one simple, hopefully, sermon. Well, you know that one of the distinctives of This church is a commitment to expository preaching. In fact, this is probably one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, why you come to Lakeside Bible Church. You love expository preaching because your life has been and continues to be transformed as a result of sitting under the clear, accurate explanation and application of God's Word. And you have high expectations for your preacher, as you should, You expect the preacher to be faithful to his responsibility to diligently prepare and preach sermons that properly explain the text of Scripture and practically apply it to your life. In fact, many of you have such a high regard for the role of the preacher that if you don't get anything out of the sermon, it's easy to think that it's my fault. And sometimes it is, (laughs) because even the best preachers uh, preach bad sermons. And, and you and I both know that I've preached my share of duds over the years. In fact, there's rarely a Sunday that that I don't leave church wishing I could just, I could just have one more crack at that. Let me just get back in there and take one more swing. I missed my mulligan when we were doing two services, right? Uh, that was a blessing for me personally, that I'd have a second shot and I would go home less discouraged than I typically do now because I only get one shot at it. But those are the times when I just need to remember that God has said in His Word through the prophet Isaiah that whenever God's Word goes forth, it never returns void without accomplishing what God desires. And while we know that's true, in one sense, all all the effort that a preacher puts into preparing and delivering a sermon is useless if no one hears and obeys it. The expository process culminates and climaxes in the sermon being heard and obeyed and people's lives being changed. All that to say, preaching is not a a one-sided endeavor. It's a a joint venture between the preacher and the listener. And successful sermons that are profitable and life-changing result from the listener teaming up with the preacher, sort of like a catcher works together in unison with a pitcher. It's baseball season. We've all been probably watching baseball. We've seen this dynamic uh, all the time. The one standing on the mound and the one squatting behind the plate, they both have a vital role in the pitching process. The responsibility doesn't all rest on the pitcher's shoulders. Likewise, the responsibility in preaching doesn't all rest on the one standing behind the pulpit. Those of you sitting in the pew also play a significant role in the preaching process. And so in order to get something, which hopefully you come to church wanting to get something, right, out of the sermon, you as a listener need to partner with the preacher so that the Word of God accomplishes its purpose of changing your life. Seems like an obvious conclusion, does it not? And yet this powerful partnership between the pulpit and the pew is being virtually ignored in the church today. For example, I already mentioned that that, uh, there are countless books that have been written to preachers on how to preach. I've got a bunch of them in my office, but there's only a handful of books that I'm aware of that have been written to listeners regarding how to listen, and so... We as preachers have many resources to train and equip us to become better preachers, but listeners, you as listeners, have hardly any resources to train and equip you to become better listeners, and and I think this is an astounding oversight when you consider the number of listeners far far exceeds the number of preachers. I mean, just let's look at the, the dynamic this morning. There's one of me, and there's 300 plus of you. What makes this even more ironic to me is that the Bible gives far more instruction about listening than about preaching. Listen, we know that, that God is very concerned about how preachers preach. Amen? We know that. But based on the sheer number of references to hearing and listening in the pages of Scripture, God is obviously just as concerned, and I would submit to you even more concerned about how listeners listen. And when I began researching this subject in depth, I asked uh, Jason Drum, you guys remember Jason, um, I said, hey Jason, would you uh, just do a, a, a search for me on, on some Bible software that he had, and, and I want you to look up every time the Bible mentions the word ear, listen, or hear, and I want you to print it out for me. Well, he shows up the next week, literally, and drops a stack of paper like this, on my desk and I was like what is that he says that's every time the bible mentions ear listener here from genesis to revelation I was like wow in the gospels alone 15 times Jesus said he who has ears what let him hear you got ears got milk right got ears I I see y'all got them right use them That's what Jesus is saying. Listen up. Pay attention. The same exhortation is repeated seven more times in the book of Revelation, once to each of the seven churches. Seven times Jesus said to the seven churches in Revelation, He who has ears to hear what? Let him hear. Almost every book of the Bible contains some reference to listening and obeying God's Word. And, and I thought it was fascinating as I was, as I was uh, analyzing all the, the biblical references on, on listening. It was hard to, to miss this inseparable relationship between listening and obeying. In fact, in many verses and passages, a a connection is clearly made between listening and obeying. They're they're like two sides of the same coin, they're synonymous terms. To listen means to obey. In fact, there's a direct lexical link between the words hear and obey in both the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament word for hear is the word what? You're like, we don't know Hebrew. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. What is that called? The Shema. That's the word. The Hebrew word is Shema. That's the word for hear, which is, interestingly, the same Hebrew word used for obey. In other words, there's no separate word for obey in the Old Testament. They mean the same thing. If you want to say hear, you use the word Shema. If you want to say obey, you use the word Shema. In the New Testament, the Greek word for hear is akuo. And the word for obey is a derivative of that word, hupakua, which simply means to hear under, to hear under. And so the implication is simple, that in God's mind, hearing and obeying are one and the same. And that's why I appreciate J.I. Packer in his book, uh, or or his uh, chapter in The preacher, Preacher and Preaching, he says this, quote, "Congregation." Never honor God more than by reverently listening to His word with full purpose of praising and obeying Him once they see what He has done and is doing and what they're called to do. And from the very first Sunday that I began preaching in this church, I've sought to help you honor God by honoring His word. And mostly, I've challenged you to not just be merely, what? Hears of the Word who deceive themselves, but, but doers of the Word. And in this way, God and His Word will be honored and glorified through our lives. A couple weeks ago, we were in Titus chapter 2, looking at the transforming grace of God, and we looked at the context there in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It's interesting that Paul was instructing Titus, how to instruct the older men and the older women and the younger men and the younger women in the church how they were to live and the character qualities that were to be manifested in their lives, ultimately so that the word of God would not be dishonored and people would have nothing bad to say about them because their lives adorn the doctrine of God. In Titus chapter 2, verse 5, he says that the the young women uh, should be subject to their husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And then in verse 8, he tells the young men that they should be sound in speech that is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame and having nothing bad to say about us. And then to to the bond slaves, or to the employees, as we would apply today, he says they shouldn't pilfer, but show all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Simply stated, our lives make God and his word either look good or look bad. Do you realize that? That your life makes God and his word either look good or look bad. And nothing brings greater reproach on God and his word than when those who profess to know God don't live according to the principles of his word. And this is what goes through people's minds, I think. They conclude this, if that's, what, if that's what comes of going to church and hearing all those sermons from the Bible and going to all those Bible studies and, and reading the Bible every day, that's the result. I'm not missing anything. I, I don't want anything to do with the Bible. And yet when others perceive that hearing and putting into practice biblical preaching has had a life-changing effect on you, it's going to pique their interest. And it's going to give you an opportunity to share with them the truth of God's Word and how how it can change them too, and how they too can honor God with their life. And so realizing, really at the very beginning, that the reputation of God and His Word are at stake should provide all the incentive that we need to carefully listen and, and, and live out every sermon we hear so our life accurately reflects what the Bible teaches Puritan pastor, Jeremiah Burroughs, which by the way, uh, that was probably one of the most um, convicting things that I came across as I was studying this subject was, uh, this is not something that's talked about much in our day, the responsibility of the listener and preacher, but you go back in time and you look at the Puritans and these Puritan preachers, man, they got after it with their people. (laughs) And they challenged their people on a regular basis that, hey, listen, you're going to be held accountable for the sermon you're about, that you're hearing this morning, and what are you going to do with it kind of thing. And so it was really a, a joy to, to, I felt like I had uncovered a treasure chest in some lost mine somewhere, and, and it was just filled with gold, all these quotes from Puritan pastors over the years. And and, and so one of those is this pastor, Jeremiah Burroughs, who who in a conclusion Uh, to a Sunday morning sermon that he entitled, Sanctifying the Name of God and Hearing the Word. This is the exhortation he gave to his congregation. You ready for this? He says, I beseech you, brethren, in the name of Jesus Christ this morning, that you who are hearers of the Word would glorify the Word and glorify the name of God in the Word. Oh, that not one of you would be a disgrace or shame to the Word of God. You should rather think thusly, I would be better. it would be better for me that I should die and that I were under the ground and rotting there than that the word of God should ever be disgraced by me. If ever you've gotten any good by the word, you should go away with this resolution today. I will labor all the days of my life to honor this word of God that I've gotten so much good by. And Burroughs concluded with this sentence. He said, if this were but the resolution of every one of your hearts this morning, it would be a blessed morning's work. And I would say that if this is the resolution of every one of your hearts when you leave here today, then I too would consider this a blessed morning's work. And what I'd like to do this morning is is simply challenge you with this one point, and you've got it in front. If you. you've got the notes, hopefully you picked up some notes in the back as you came in. And really, the theme of this message is very simple. In order to experience a maximum life change from the sermons that you hear every week and ensure that God and His Word are honored and glorified through your life, you must be mindful of and faithful to full responsibilities whenever you listen to God's Word preached. And so when it's all said and done, I I thought, how do we summarize all this, all that the Bible teaches about, about the responsibility of the listener when it comes to the preaching of God's word? Well, I think it comes down to four basic responsibilities. Number one is appreciation. You must understand the gravity of hearing God's word preached. Number two is anticipation. You must prepare your heart before hearing God's word preached. And thirdly, is attention. You must exercise discernment while hearing God's word preached. And then finally, number four is application. You must obey after hearing God's word preached. And so let's, let's look at each one of these uh, quickly this morning these four responsibilities that you must be mindful of and faithful to whenever. You listen to God's Word preached, whether it's here on Sunday mornings or maybe even on the radio or on your uh, podcast or your iPad, however you listen to sermons, that, that they, these, these uh, are your responsibilities whenever you come across the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Number one is appreciation. Appreciation. You must understand the gravity of hearing God's Word preached. Now, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 4, a familiar text, I'm sure, um, to all of you. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this to his young disciple Timothy. He said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, well, whatever he's about to charge him with, it must be very serious. It must be very grave because of how he is challenging them that he's doing this in the presence of God, who's going to judge you someday when he appears, when he returns. What is this charge that I need to, 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 um, to be faithful to in light of the judgment day, in light of uh, the day I stand before the behemoth seat of Christ and are rewarded for my work as a Christian? He says, verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. But notice he goes on, and he gives the reason why Timothy needed to be faithful to preach the word and to just be ready at all times to to reprove and rebuke and exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? For the time will come, Timothy, when they'll not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears, what, tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Now, these famous last words of the Apostle Paul to to Timothy show us right off the bat that the importance of listening is ultimately based on the importance of preaching. Joel Beakey has written a great little book called The Family at Church, Listening to Sermons and Attending Prayer Meetings, and he made this comment I thought was very profound. He said, John Calvin often instructed his congregation about rightly hearing the Word of God. Calvin stressed proper hearing because of his high regard for preaching. And so a right understanding of how to properly listen to God's Word begins with and flows out of a right understanding of how God's Word is to be properly preached. And so before addressing the subject of biblical listening, the subject of of biblical preaching must first be addressed. And so we come to this text, the classic text in God's Word on the true nature of biblical preaching, which, by the way, the context is, don't miss this, back in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul was reminding Timothy that it was the sacred writings, it was Scripture it was the word, if you will, which, which led to his salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he gives this classic description of the, the, the inspiration of scripture. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately, adequately equipped for every good word. And he goes on to essentially say, now preach the word. Don't let that chapter break get in the way. See the flow of thought. Now preach this preach this inspired, authoritative, all-sufficient word. And that word preached there is the word kerygma in the Greek, which means to simply proclaim as a herald. In other words, you, the, the, the preacher speaks on behalf of the king. He tells people what the king has said. He doesn't just come up with his own thoughts, his own ideas, his own messages. He simply proclaims the messages of the king to the people. And so biblical preaching is simply when the Bible is the sole source and subject of every sermon. In other words, what the preacher says comes directly from a verse or passage in the Bible. Now, that seems maybe obvious to you, right? But unfortunately, that's not what a whole lot of preaching looks like in our world today. There's really no connection, uh, very little connection, if any, to what the preacher is saying and what the Bible says. And so uh, the, the message must come directly from a verse or passage in the Bible, and the meaning of that verse or passage must be literally explained in its historical and grammatical context and then principalized into a timeless truth that relates to people's lives today. And this method of, of preaching is referred to as biblical exposition or explanation or what we know as expository preaching. Basically, when we talk about expository preaching, we're just saying it's it's preaching that explains the Bible. That's all it means. Preaching that explains the Bible. Wayne Grudem, in his little Bible doctrine book, gives a great definition of expository preaching. He says this, "...throughout the history of the church, the greatest preachers have been those who have seen their task as being to explain the words of Scripture and apply them clearly to the lives of their hearers. Essentially, they stood in the pulpit pointed to the biblical text and said, in effect, to the congregation, this is what this verse means. Do you see this meaning here as well? Then you must believe it and obey it with all your heart, for God himself, your creator and your Lord, is saying this to you today. End quote. And I think in that last sentence, Grudem put his finger on the profound gravity of hearing God's word preached that God himself is saying this to you today. It doesn't get any more profound than that. That whenever a preacher faithfully explains the Bible, it is God talking, not the preacher. You're not just hearing the words of the preacher, but you're you're actually hearing the words of God. This was the conviction of of faithful preachers of the Bible. Jeremiah, uh, this young prophet that felt completely inadequate for the role that God had called him to. And God said to him, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I have put my words in your mouth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Billy uh, explained this text uh, on Wednesday night during our Salt of the Earth series. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, Paul says, as though God were making an appeal through us. God appeals through the mouth of the preacher, through the evangelist. And then Peter said it this way, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. He said, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. In other words, if you have been gifted to teach or preach, uh, and that is your spiritual gift, whenever you get up and speak, whenever you get up and teach, that you should do so as if you were speaking the very words of God. Because if you're using the Bible you are. This was also the conviction of of many preachers throughout church history. Again, John Calvin said this, quote, pastors are the very mouthpieces of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, in faithful exposition of the word, God himself is preaching. And if a man is giving a true exposition or explanation of scripture, God is speaking because it is God's word and not the word of men. And then John Stott, in his classic little book, The Preacher's Portrait, he said this, that that in true biblical preaching, the voice of the preacher is ultimately drowned out by the voice of God. And so understanding this, this supernatural dynamic of biblical exposition, that when a man is faithfully preaching the word of God, it is actually the voice of God being heard? That'll make you listen. That'll help you pay better attention to to the sermons that you're listening to, because I'm not just listening to some guy up there, I'm listening to God. The Thessalonians, I think, are a a great example, and just flip over a few pages to your left there from 2 Timothy. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, Paul was uh, expressing his gratitude to the church uh, to these new believers. These, these believers had gotten radically saved out of a life of sin and idolatry. And and uh, he was thanking the Lord for, for all the work that he had accomplished in his life. But notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he says this, for this reason we also constantly thank God. We're just so thankful to God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, what? The Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And so the Spirit of God had had, had used Paul's preaching of the Word to transform, radically transform, the lives of these idol-worshiping pagans. Why? How'd that happen? Because they had welcomed The Word, with open arms, and appreciated it, and it accepted Paul's preaching for what it really was, the Word of God. Now, unlike the church in Thessalonica, I think there's an increasing lack of appreciation and acceptance of biblical preaching in the church today. Not only does the average churchgoer these days no longer appreciate biblical preaching, they won't even tolerate biblical preaching. Which shouldn't surprise us in light of the warning that, that Paul gave to Timothy, back in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves, teachers, in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths." Whether you realize it or not, we are living in that day, which Paul prophesied, where the majority of churchgoers want preachers to tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And if given a choice, I think most people today would prefer listening to light, uplifting, uh, entertaining, topical talks filled with jokes and stories and, and, and really what amounts to psychological advice rather than, than hearing deep, challenging, doctrinal sermons that are filled with practical implications for our lives. And if, if, if people feel like the preacher's stepping on their toes or the, making them feel uncomfortable, well, they either run the preacher out of the church or they just go find another church that tickles their ears and makes them feel good about themselves. Now, before we leave this text, I think there's a simple but profound principle that that is taught here, that could be very easily overlooked. And that is this. This passage is not only about how to preach. That's typically why we always go to this passage. Let's let's talk about preaching. Let's go to 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4, and it's all about preaching. Well, this passage is also about how to listen. And while the emphasis is is clearly on the preacher's responsibility, the, the listener's responsibility is also clearly implied here. And I believe that that intimidating warning that Paul gave to Timothy, that he would stand before God someday and give an account of how he preached the Word, also applies to all of us who listen to the Word of God preached. At the Bema seat, the listeners will stand alongside the preachers and be held accountable for their part that they played in the preaching of God's Word. And while the preachers are being judged based on their biblical responsibility to to faithfully explain and exhort the word, the listeners will be judged based on their biblical responsibility to carefully hear and to heed God's word. And if you think, well, this sounds so strange, I've really never heard this before. I've never even thought about this before. Well, again, this is not something that I'm making up or that I'm maybe overemphasizing, we just need to go back in church history and again, listen to some of the things that, that the Puritan preachers said and, and, and frequently exhorted their congregations to listen to their sermons in light of this looming liability out there. Richard Baxter, for example, said this, "...remember that all these sermons must be reviewed, and you must answer for all that you've heard, whether you heard it, with diligent attention or with carelessness, and the word which you hear shall judge you at the last day. Hear, therefore, as those who are going to judgment to give an account of their hearing and obeying." Thomas Watson, very graphic um, illustrator and very illustrative in how he communicated, he said this, Quote, you must give an account for every sermon you hear. The judge to whom we must give an account is God. How should we observe every word preached remembering the account? He said, let all this make us shake off distraction and drowsiness in hearing and have our ears chained to the word. Isn't that very practical? That, that we get distracted, don't we? We get drowsy. Listen, I've fallen asleep in church before right in the middle of the sermon, as I'm sure you all could a- admit to at some point, or you get distracted uh, by, by things. Somebody gets up and leaves, or somebody gets a new haircut, and you're just like, that's I, I want my hair done like that. Or, you know, you get, you know, and seriously, by the way, those of you that are sitting up front this morning, you're having to deal with a whole lot less distractions than those of you, those of you sitting in the back. And, and you gotta, when you're sitting towards the back, you've got to work way harder as a listener than if you're sitting in the front, right? Because there's not much to distract you up here except for me. Because all the distractions are behind you. And so that's a, a great practical way to become a better listener is to sit closer to the front. How's that for a plug for the front seats, right? The point is this, that whenever we sit under the preaching of God's word... What should be in the forefront of our mind is that that day when we will be rewarded based on how receptive and responsive that we were to the preached word. And so this all begins here uh, with this idea of appreciation, that you must understand the gravity of hearing God's word preached. I don't have time to to reference all the verses about how uh, God connects your life here on this earth and also your eternal destiny to what you do with the Bible. I've got some verses that you can look up on one of the questions there that, that, that make that connection, that you realize, man, this is serious, that, that my salvation, number one, and my sanctification, number two, right, is, is, is dependent on what I do in the, when I'm in, in a context to hear the Word of God and how I respond. Everything hinges on how well I listen to the Word preached. And so there needs to be an appreciation for what is going on here when the Word of God is opened. Secondly, a second responsibility you need to be mindful of and faithful to is anticipation. Anticipation. You must prepare your heart before hearing God's Word preached. And so now we, that first responsibility, appreciation, is just kind of an overarching responsibility that you have. But now we'll get very specific, and there's a process. There's something that you need to do before you sit under the preaching of God's Word. There's something you need to do while you're sitting under the teaching of God's Word. And then there's something you need to do after you sit under the preaching of God's word. And that's these final three responsibilities. So the first one here is anticipation. You need to pray your heart before hearing God's word preached. Luke chapter 8, a familiar passage, probably one of the most well-known parables that Jesus ever told. In fact, it was the introductory parable. It was the first parable he, he, he shared, he, he told, uh, really that, that, that launched him into all the other parables. And really, he was setting the people up In many ways, this parable was designed to prepare people for the rest of the parables. And and I don't have time to read the entire portion of scripture here, Luke 8, basically verse 4 through 21, but I want you to see just three verses in the midst of this story of the four soils and what they represent. In chapter 8, verse 8, he says, as he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then at the end, in verse 18, he's going on uh, and not changing necessarily the subject because he says this in verse 18, so take care how you listen. And then he concludes this section that it was reported in verse 20, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you, but he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And so in this well-known parable of the soils. We have a crucial given. Our, we're given a crucial insight regarding the listener's responsibility in preaching. And this entire parable is all about what listening and obeying the preaching of God's word. And the overall lesson of this parable is that listening to God's word preached has more to do with our hearts than it does with our ears. So don't get confused, oh, I got my ears on, today. well, yeah, that's great, but what about your heart? What's going on in your heart? And as you know, Jesus used four kinds of soil to illustrate four kinds of hearts on which the preached word lands. There's the, the road soil, which represents those who have a stubborn, unreceptive heart, and there's the rocky soil, and th- that represents those who have a shallow, superficial heart, and there's the thorny soil, which represents those who have a worldly, strangled heart, and then there's that good soil. That represents those that have a soft, receptive heart, and the word of God lands, the seed of the word of God lands as the preacher throws it out, it lands on that good soil and it and it goes down deep and it produces a great, great amount of fruit. And so the point is how you respond to God's word depends on the condition of your heart. You might be hearing through your ears everything that is being said this morning. But guess what? It's going in (laughs) and hitting a rock, right? Because your heart's hard. Your heart's not prepared. And so in order for the seed of God's word to plant itself deep in your heart so it flourishes and produces fruit in your life, the soil of your heart must be properly prepared. Why? Because at times our hearts become hardened, as it says in in Hebrews chapter 3, by the deceitfulness of sin. There are times when I've come to church on a Sunday morning and I feel like my heart is hardened up over the week because of sin and being exposed to sin. And, and so our hearts need to be prepared. They need to be harrowed, if you will, broken up and softened to make, make them ready to receive the Word of God. Jeremiah 4.3 talks about breaking up the fallow ground. It was a farming analogy in, in this agricultural Jewish culture and it was like, hey, you got a field out there that's got these big old hard clods of dirt and and you can't just go right out and plant your your field. What do you got to do first? You got to prepare that field and you got to go in there and break up those clods. And so I remember every spring we had this huge garden back in Massachusetts growing up and it was so big my dad would have to get the neighbor farmer to come in and actually plow it with his big tractor and plow. That's how big this garden was. And then he, he would go through and there was these big old furrows and all this dirt was all clumped together. And then he'd come back through with his harrow, right, the little disc thing that comes through and breaks all that stuff up and softens it all out. And then my dad would actually go one step further. He'd get out there with his rototiller and he'd go through the garden and, and really get it all fine, really the, the, the dirt all fine so it was, it was perfectly prepared to plant the seeds. We need to do the same thing with our hearts as we come to church on Sunday or Wednesday or whenever you are hearing the word of God. C.H. Spurgeon said it well. He said, quote, We're told men ought not to preach without preparation. Granted, but we add men ought not to hear without preparation. Which do you think needs the most preparation, the sower or the seed? Or excuse me, the sower or the ground? I would have the sower come with clean hands, but I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed, well turned over, and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower, more by the hearer than by the preacher. His point is this, that the most well-crafted sermons will fail to change your life if they're not received by a well-cultivated heart. And so you need to learn how to harrow your heart so it's ready to receive God's word. And there's a lot that goes into the preparation of your heart for Sunday mornings, for example. I've got a whole chapter in the book about how to harrow your heart, 10 ways to prepare your heart to hear the preaching of God's word. One of those, one of them is just simply to plan ahead. Some of you guys were this morning, woke up, you're racing around like chickens with your head cut off and you're at each other's throats and everybody was late and doing this and you you had this big old fight in the car to get here and you you fell out of the car and you saw the first person you saw and you're like, morning brother, hey sister, (laughs) bless you. The Lord is good. Praise the Lord. It's the parking lot miracle, right? Listen, you come in here and you're dropping your kids off. You're trying to find where they're supposed to go. And you sit down here and you're just like, and you're just exhausted and, and, and you're mad at each other. And, and, and uh, you're like, guess what? You really think your heart is ready to receive the preaching of God's word? So just plan ahead. Start Sunday morning, start Saturday night. Start getting ready Saturday night. Lay stuff out. Ladies, don't wait till Sunday morning to pick out your outfit, right? Because that could be a problem, all right? And, and guys, don't wait in the car honking the horn for your wife. Get in there, help her with the kids, do whatever you got to do, right? Just work together. Plan ahead. So the point is you have to prepare your heart. We laugh, and, and this is what we go through every week. But this is all about preparing your heart before hearing God's word preached. That's that anticipation. Thirdly is attention. Attention. Okay, So not only do you need to prepare your heart before hearing God's preached, now you need to exercise discernment while hearing God's word preached. And I think this is one of the most critical challenges for you as a listener, and that is learning to listen with a discerning ear. I know you realize this, but, but God's, God holds you responsible to determine that whether or uh, determine that what you are hearing whether or not it's, 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 it's accurate, that what's being preached, is that, is that true? Is that accurate? Is that, is that biblical? 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Listen, you shouldn't just accept what is said just because I said it. You need didn't, you didn't to make sure that what I'm saying is what God has said. You need to develop the habit of comparing everything that you hear from this pulpit or any other pulpit you sit under or any other podcast you listen to. You need to develop the discernment and to compare everything that you hear with Scripture. I'll never forget one of our Saturday morning man-ups that most of us don't bring our Bibles. It's just more of a challenge for about 40 minutes. A really kind of a devotional challenge for us as men, and we bring our phones or whatever. And so there was a guest one Saturday morning, and this table full of guys I'd never met before. And I walked up, and this one guy had a big old Bible right in front of his plate of pancakes. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? I said, I introduced myself, and who are you? And I mean, I'm so glad to see you brought your Bible. And uh he was from Cut and Shoot. I should have known, right? And he, he just looked right up at me and said, well, I ain't going to take your award for it. <laughs> and I was like, I like you, man. That's the spirit of the Berean, right? In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, now the Bereans were even more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Listen, if the Bereans, if the Christians, the believers in Berea were screening the Apostle Paul, who was speaking under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need to screen the preaching that we listen to today? I don't know if you realize this, but we are living in a generation that is being exposed to more religious information and instruction than in any other generation in the history of the church. And the quantity and the variety of false teaching within the church is truly astounding. And yet it seems that fewer and fewer Christians today have the desire or the ability to distinguish truth from error, right from wrong, good from evil. And again, this is not a recent problem. You just have to go back to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, for example. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. And listen to how the writer lovingly rebukes his readers here. He says, concerning him, Melchizedek who was a type of Christ in the Old Testament, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you've become dull of what? Hearing. You've got a listening problem. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have a need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And so the writer here was, was confronting his readers for their lack of discernment. There was a lot that he wanted to teach them, but they were not in a right spiritual condition to understand, appreciate what he had to say. And, and, and the spiritual, their spiritual immaturity kept them from being able to move forward, it kept him from having, being able to move forward in this teaching. And the problem, he says, is you become dull of hearing. Literally, they become lazy listeners. They were lazy listeners who were unable to digest the deep truths of the Bible. And he compares them to babies that that were only capable of, uh, of drinking milk even though they'd been Christians long enough that they should, be, they should have graduated eating solid food by now, and, and, and mature believers are able to eat and digest the prime rib principles of God's Word, and as they feed on the meat of the Word of God, they develop a more thorough working knowledge of the Scriptures, which causes them to grow in their ability to distinguish truth from error. And so you're no longer like a baby that just kind of crawls around, and anything they see, they pick up, and what do they do with it? They put it in their mouth. Why? Because they don't know the difference between what's good and what's what's bad. I think perhaps the clearest, most straightforward explanation of discernment in the Bible is found in Paul's letters, the first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Just listen, 1 Thessalonians chapter five. 1 Thessalonians chapter five, verse 21. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. It's the analogy of picking the daisies, right, and leaving the weeds. But you have to examine everything carefully. And so we need to train ourselves to, to examine everything we read and hear in light of the scriptures and receive what is true and reject what is false. Why? Because Jesus said in Matthew seven fifteen, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In other words, the, the appearance of false teachers is deceiving. They disguise themselves as true shepherds, pastors, teachers, elders, leaders in the church. They, they don't come in dressed so much like another sheep. They come in dressed like a shepherd. That's the, that's the point that, that Jesus was making there. They don't, these false teachers don't ju- dress up like sheep. They dress up like shepherds. It's like the wolf saying, I'm going to go get some sheep. And so he dresses up like a shepherd and goes into the Sheepfold. Now, now listen, if, if a hungry, ferocious wolf jumps over the fence into a flock of sheep, you think the sheep are going to notice? Yeah, they're like, wow, there's, there's a wolf. But if he walks through the gate impersonating, impersonating a shepherd, it's going to be hard to tell that it's a wolf, right? For example, you could go home this afternoon go on to Christian television, TBN, for example, and you could look and find a whole lot of guys that look exactly like I look this morning. They're dressed exactly the way I'm dressed. They're doing basically, they look basically doing exactly what I'm doing up here. They've got a pulpit. They've got a Bible, right? How do you know? How do you know if they're a true shepherd or a wolf? The only way you as a sheep can discern whether that guy is a shepherd or a wolf is by listening to his "what?" Voice. Might look the same, might act the same, but you need to listen to what's coming out of his mouth. I love what we've been learning in, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, verse two. Jesus said, He who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him. Why? Because they do not know the voice of strangers. They do not know the voice of strangers. The the picture there was A common sheepfold where a number of different farmers or shepherds would would house their sheep for the night and they would walk into the the, the fold in the morning and they would call out their sheep and all of the shepherd's sheep would recognize that guy's voice and come out of that fold and follow him. And the rest of them wouldn't because they didn't recognize the voice, didn't recognize that whistle, didn't recognize that tone. And so as one of Christ's sheep, you need to have your ears trained to differentiate between the voice of the shepherd and the voice of a stranger so you know who to flee from and who to follow after. And so you need to exercise the sermon while hearing God's word preached. And then just finally and, and quickly, the last responsibility is application. application. You must obey after hearing God's word preached. And this last responsibility, I think, is is the most neglected. And probably the reason why it's the most neglected is because it's the most difficult aspect of of the listening process. The hardest part of listening to a sermon is doing something about what you hear. And too many of us, I think, are like the people of Israel, described by the Lord through the pen of the prophet Ezekiel. And this is probably one of the most uh, interesting or intriguing verses that I came across in my research on this subject of expository listening. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30, God is speaking to Ezekiel, the prophet, and he says this, but as for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses, speak to one another, each to his own brother, saying, come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them, for they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after their gain. Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by which one—between uh, by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not practice them. Ezekiel was the talk of the town. Apparently, he was a very captivating communicator. And they're all like, hey, Ezekiel's preaching that. Come on, let's go. Let's go hear Ezekiel. Let's go hear the word from the Lord. And they would sit there as if they were at the opera. Ooh, somebody has this this amazing voice, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Or or some concert, or some watching some, it's, it's for entertainment value. That's all it was. It was purely entertainment to them. And they were intrigued and they were impressed by his sermons, but they never obeyed a single one. They went in one ear and out the other. They had no intention of ever obeying anything he said. They just liked the show. And I think we need to be careful, even as Bible-believing evangelical Christians, that, that, that I think sometimes we can get more impressed by how preachers say things than by what they actually say and what we need to do about it. And we've all got our favorite preacher. Oh man, did you see, did you hear Piper's, yo, Piper, man, he nailed that. Oh man, Lawson, man, that message was the most profound thing. Man, or man, Sproul is so deep. Or MacArthur, man, he just, wow, that was awesome. Or Tim Keller, right? We all have our favorite preachers and we pass sermons around, hey, you gotta listen to this. And we, we, we pass so forward sermons and links and stuff. and You gotta listen to this. And, and, and I wonder sometimes, were we, we, we so impacted by their presence and their, their giftedness and their ability to communicate persuasively or was it the content of what they were saying? And how has your life really changed as a result or was that just a cool, a cool sermon? Some of you know not to to ever compliment me after church on Sunday, you've you've learned not to, because you've come up to me at some point in the past and said, hey preacher, that was a great sermon, and I simply said, what are you going to do about it? I appreciate the compliment I do, really, that's kind, and that was just my tongue-in-cheek way of saying, hey, I appreciate that, but that's not why we came, this was not a time to be entertained. It was a time to be impacted by the truth. And now, now what are we going to do? How are we going to change the result of what God has said to us this morning? You're familiar with the expression, practice what you preach? And those of you sitting in the pew, count on the one standing behind the pulpit to live out what he says. Why? Because there's nothing more hypocritical and dishonoring to God than when the preacher doesn't do what he tells the congregation to do. Amen. But I would add, it is just as hypocritical and dishonoring to God when the congregation doesn't do what the preacher tells them to do. You have every right to expect me to practice what I preach. I get that. But guess what? I have every right to expect you to practice what I preach. Or in other words, to practice what you hear. Again, Thomas Watson Said this, if you would hear the word aright or, or rightly, practice what you hear. Hearing only will be no plea at the day of judgment, merely to say, Lord, I've heard many sermons. Some of that's going to be our, well, I, 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 sat through, I sat in church all my life, I heard all these sermons, and God will say, What fruits of obedience have you brought forth? The word preached is not only to inform you, but to reform you. If you hear the word and are not bettered by it, your hearing will increase your condemnation. He said, we pity such as know not where to hear. It will be worse with such as care not how to hear. In other words, we might pity someone while they go to that church, and man, they don't preach the word, and and we pity those people, but guess what? We have even more accountability coming to a church that is preaching the word that we need to care about how we're listening to the Word of God. It's very easy to be critical and judgmental of others, right? Well, they, they don't go to a good church. They don't understand biblical preaching. Well, I do. Well, yeah, that's great, but are you, what are you doing about it? He says, to graceless, this is Watson, man, he's just taking no prisoners here. He said, to graceless, disobedient hearers, every sermon will be a stick to heat hell. In other words every sermon you hear that goes in one ear and out the other you blow it off you don't do anything about it that's just one more stick that's going to heat your place in hell obviously referring to unbelievers who just blow off the teaching of god's word oh i listened to a lot of sermons yeah but you didn't do anything about it he said it is sad to go to hell loaded with ordinances or sermons oh beg the spirit to make the word preached effectual Again, as I mentioned earlier, that at the end of our lives, we will stand before God and give an account of the sermons that we've heard. And I think that's why it's so vital that we diligently seek to put what we hear into practice, proving ourselves to be not just hearers of the word, who delude themselves, who deceive themselves. Oh, I heard a great sermon today. No, but to be a doer of the word. And that's the main point of the book of James. And we know this passage well. We've looked at it many times before. But in James chapter 1, verse 22, well, verse 21, he says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. You got everything going on in there. Preparation, the gravity, talking about your soul here. um, Interesting, it says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness, that word in the Greek literally meant earwax. So clean out your ears. Right? In other words, deal with the sin in your life, get rid of the sin in your life, confess the sin in your life, and then you'll be able to receive the word of God. And then he says this, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. It's like the guy who, 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 who just audits the class. How many of you guys ever audited a class in, in college? Anybody audit a class in college? Yeah, I did too. That was like my favorite class. Because you got to sit there and you get all that information from that brilliant professor and you got to take notes and, and you're like, the whole time you're kind of chuckling going, this is too good to be true. I'm getting all the good stuff and I don't have to do any work. I don't have to take the test. I don't have to write the papers. I'm just auditing this thing. And so you had no responsibility after you took in that information. And, and some people come to church and they just, that's pretty much what they're doing. They're auditing the sermon. Oh, they're taking notes. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, that's good. To, but man, this is cool. i, I I just got to sit here and go to the class and I'm done. Church's over, boom, I'm out of here. Off with the rest of my, on with the rest of my life. He said, no, don't, don't just audit the class. He says, if you do that, he says, you're like that, that guy who looks at his face in the mirror and once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what, he's, what kind of person he was. I mean, what's the point of a mirror? You look in the mirror, we all probably looked in the mirror this morning, to see what was wrong, usually, so we could fix it, right? And so, man, I, I need to shave, I need to, I need to comb my hair, I need to put makeup on, whatever, I need to iron my shirt, whatever. Imagine, you, you look in the mirror, and then you just see all this stuff that needs to change, and then you walk away, and you're sitting here this morning, and your shirt's all messed up, your hair's, you know, and, and you forgot your makeup, and, and you don't even realize it. You're clueless. You're sitting here, and you look a mess. And everybody's going, what's that guy's problem? Doesn't he have a mirror? right? We, we wouldn't do that. He says, but that's exactly what you are when, you, when you're exposed, when the, when the mirror of God's word is put before you and say, look, this is what you look like. This is how you need to change. And you're like, oh yeah. And then you walk out of church and by, by the time after lunch, you've, you've completely forgotten how you need to change, how you need to grow. He said, don't be that guy. He says, but the one who looks intently at the perfect law, uh, literally stooping up and, and getting as close to the mirror as possible is the idea here, looks at the perfect law of liberty, the scriptures, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So instead of being a forgetful hearer, we need to be an effectual doer who looks intently into God's word, carefully examines those areas in our life that, that, that need to change. And really, the question that we should ask ourselves after every sermon is, how should my life change as a result of what I just heard? That's the question you should ask yourself every Sunday as you were walking out there. Okay, so what? How should my life change as a result of what I just heard? And, and all it takes, just, just think of one thing, just one thing. You're like, well, I get, my, my whole life is a mess. I well, just, just work on the makeup this week. <laughs> Just work on iron the shirt this week. Work on combing your hair this week. Just one thing. You got, you got time to work on everything else, right? But just pick out one thing, even this morning, that you can work on to, be, to improve as a listener of God's word, for example. And when we seek to change in obedience to God's word, God promises that you will be blessed. That's what he says. This man will be blessed in what he does. Luke eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. And do it. And this is the most basic principle in God's word that God blesses those who don't just hear His word, but they practice His word. They observe His word. They obey His word. One more passage and we'll close. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, a passage that many of you have memorized. In fact, you grew up singing in Sunday school. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. The wise man and the foolish man. One builds his house on a rock, one builds his house on a sand. Notice the context comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, end of chapter 7. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, notice he didn't say, everyone who hears these words, no, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, what, what words? The Sermon on the Mount. Everything I just got done telling you Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and the slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. That is a blessed person. However, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, what, act on them, doesn't do anything with what they heard, doesn't obey, doesn't follow up, doesn't follow through, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, the rain fell, and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fault. Beloved, that is not just um, a curse, man. That's a damned man. This is language of heaven and hell here. And it's no coincidence that this was the closing illustration to the greatest sermon ever preached, and Jesus was challenging those who had listened to the Sermon on the Mount to put into practice everything they had just heard. And so this is a solemn warning that our entire lives and eternal destiny is based on how receptive and responsive we are to God's word. One more Puritan, David Clarkson, said this in a sermon called, entitled Hearing the Word. He said, hearing is the provision made for the soul's eternal well-being. It's everlasting welfare depends on it. If you fail here, your souls perish without remedy. Why? For salvation comes by faith and faith comes by what? Hearing. He says it is an act of eternal consequence. According to our hearing so shall the state of our souls be to eternity. In the end, it will all come down to what we did or didn't do with what God has said in his word. And so listen to every sermon in light of eternity because every sermon is truly a matter of life and death. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, just your goodness to us um, and giving us your word. And I just pray that you would help us to recognize the gravity of what goes on here on any given Sunday, Wednesday night, whenever the word is opened up and taught. Lord, I just uh, ask that we would appreciate that dynamic and that uh, we would listen accordingly, that we're actually hearing you speak to us through your word. And so help us come with hearts prepared. Father, I pray that we'd also grow in our discernment, um, knowing what is true and what is not, what is biblical and what's unbiblical. And Lord, that we would also, um, you would just grant us grace in making application of, of every sermon we hear, Father, that our lives um, need to change and we need to grow and maybe we just need to think differently. It may not be anything about our lives so much as just our thinking needs to change on any given Sunday or Wednesday. So I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to be uh, good listeners, Father, um, and that we would truly honor you as, as we honor your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.